Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast brought to you by HypeBot.com. We, uh, as always, want to extend our thanks to Bruce and everybody over at HypeBot for all their support and encourage everybody to make sure you check out HypeBot for all the latest music news and marketing tips and, and just all around great advice for anybody who's got a career in music. Um, today, I want to welcome a special guest. Um, somebody that I've uh, corresponded with for a while online, but the first time we've chatted face-to-face. Um, I want to welcome Wade Sutton. Wade, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate it. So um, for those of you who need just a little bit of info, Wade is the founder of Rocket to the Stars, um, an artist service record label and an artist services record label with clients throughout the world. He works with aspiring and professional musicians by providing top-level services ranging from biography and press release writing to designing press kits. He, his strategies have been featured on websites like CD Baby and Disc Makers, and he's scheduled to speak at the 2018 Music Entrepreneur Conference at Harvard University. Um, and right off the bat, biography and press release writing. That's what I want to really hone in on this week. Good. Um, it's something that I think it's safe to say every single artist out there needs that. Whether you're a solo artist in a band, whether you're, regardless of the style of music you play, you're going to need a biography and you're going to need a press release. Safe to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and I would I would go as far as saying is... If you don't have one, it separates you from the people who are serious, from the people who aren't serious about their career. You're just not going to be taken seriously if you don't if you don't get yourself a bio and and a good press release. You know, Michael, it's funny because I see a lot of music artists, and I understand why this happens, particularly early on in their career. You'll see a lot of people try to write their own biographies. Yes. And they they run into a couple of problems when they try to do it. First of all, I, I've always been of the mindset that oftentimes what the artist finds interesting about themselves isn't what fans are going to find interesting about them. Uh, as music artists, I think many of them, when they try to write their own biographies, they have a tendency to key in on things that are very music related. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people have a story to tell. And well, well, let me stop you right there. Okay. That, that single word story is something that Jay and I have hit on so many times in so yeah. many episodes. And, 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 and once again, what we're saying is, when you release an album, when you write your bio, when you put out a press release, you've got to come up with what is your story. And, and, and right off the bat, I've always told people, the new CD is not your story. No, Nobody, it's not. I, 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 unless you're Jay-Z or Beyonce or the Rolling Stones, nobody gives a crap about your new CD. And right. frankly... For the vast majority of artists out there, nobody's even heard of you to begin with. So there isn't pent-up demand waiting for it. So nobody cares right. about your music. Nobody nobody needs to hear it's the most awesome this and the most awesome that. 
frankly, in my what what I always feel is I assume it's the most often awesome. You wouldn't release crap music. I hope you know <laughs> you know if, if if you're going out there, I hope you uh, put together the best album you could of the best music you can deliver. So don't you don't need to tell me that it is the best. But it's let, the me, story. let me give it's you a, story. a great example, a great example to illustrate this. I remember a couple of years ago. In fact, I just told this story to somebody this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing a bio for an artist in the Philadelphia area. And to kind of set this up for you, just to give you an idea, because this is one of the reasons why it was so shocking to me. Uh, at the time, he was late 40s, early 50s, I think it was. Um white artist who was doing kind of an Americana kind of thing. So he contacted me to do the bio. And even before we sat down for the interview, I did a lot of research on him on my own. So I had a little bit of an idea going into what I was dealing with. And what I had found about him in a lot of the stuff that I, I read about online was that back in 2001, 2002, he had written a song that was very patriotic. And this came out post 9-11. And he got a good bit of attention from it. The song actually charted on Billboard, and then he received, I believe it was two or three letters of appreciation from President Bush's Joint Chiefs of Staff. Wow! So a lot of times when he would present himself to somebody in the media, whenever they would sit down for an interview, this was one of the big things that he talked about. And, you know, I understand why he was doing it, because it was a great professional accomplishment for him to have this happen and he was very proud of it but I, i've always believed particularly nowadays where so many people have so much access to independent music artists they branch off from the mainstream stuff um that idea of a song charting on billboard at least in the eyes of a fan i don't think it carries as much weight as it used to i think fans are more concerned with whether or not they like the song and less concerned of whether or not the song is having any kind of commercial success. So when I sat down and I started talking to him, we were about 20 minutes into the phone conversation, and I said, Dean, how did you get involved in music to begin with? And he laughed, and he said, well, he said, originally, I was a professional dancer, which I was surprised to hear. And I said, all right, so what kind of dance did you do? And he said, I did everything. Is it hip hop, contemporary, jazz? Uh, I think he said he did a little bit of ballet as well. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. But then he dropped a bomb on me and, and said something that I did not see in anything else that he had out there. He said, actually, I danced on several stops of the world tour for MC Hammer. Okay. And I, and I went, whoa, wait a minute. You know, where'd this come from? So, and then he said, well, he said, do you remember when uh, MC Hammer was doing the TV commercials for British Knights tennis shoes? And I said, yeah. And he said, I was in some of those commercials. So, you know, I told him, I said, this is something that's really interesting. It's very, it's a story that's very unique to you. And when I wrote the bio for him, what I did was I opened the bio and I told that whole story from the get-go in the first line. I, I wrote something along the lines of, you know, who would have thought somebody who started out as a professional dancer on MC Hammer's World Tour would be where he is now, singing professionally, doing what he's doing 20 years later. And, you know, I hit it very quickly. I used about half a sentence to tell the story, and then I moved into, into the other stuff, talking about Dean and his other accomplishments and what he's got going on with his music. I did mention the stuff about the song charting on Billboard and, and him getting the letters from the president, 
the, the president's joint chiefs of staff. But I saved that for a little bit further. I thought this was something when somebody reads it, it's going to catch their interest like that. And more importantly, it's something that they could remember. And I saw Dean a couple of months later. I was actually speaking at a conference in Nashville, and he came up to me and he said, you know, you wouldn't believe how many people have asked me about that now. And I laughed and I said, I do believe it. That's why I put it in there. But it, what was great about that story was it opened up a door for fans. And when a fan read that, they remembered it. And then right. when they the would see him, was before, made. the connection was made and it opened up the door. It gave them something to talk about whenever they approached him. So it, it opened up that door to the conversation, which is really important for that engagement and that relationship between the fan and the artist. Well, yeah. And, and why that is so important is... You know, you, you create a bio and a press release and you ha service it yourself or you hire somebody to, to send it out, a publicist to send it out. And, you know, remember that publicist is getting hundreds of solicitations a day. Definitely. And, and you know, the story is what's going to pique their interest and hopefully going, oh, let me read some more of this. Let me reach out and I want to talk to him. What was that interesting story? Again, they aren't going to give a they don't care that you've got a new CD. They assume there's Not something they they assume you've got a tour or a CD. That's the only reason you're emailing them. One of those is the two main reasons you're promoting something. Um but they're not going to do an interview just based off of that. They're going to do an interview going, "Wow, I remember that that TV commercial. I remember watching. I remember loving it." And you were in it? Well, let's talk about that. Right. And that becomes the opening dialogue to get a discussion going, which at the end of the discussion gives you the opportunity to plug whatever needs to be plugged. That's the way it works. And and I think what, you know, back to your original statement of how many artists try and do this themselves initially. And and let me let me say that. You know, I can understand why a lot of artists do it themselves. They don't have the budget. They don't have the experience. They don't They don't know the ropes yet. So they write it themselves, and then they get some feedback, and hopefully they learn from that and and end up hiring somebody like you or getting a, somebody to help them write it. But the important role that somebody like you plays is a, a, a copywriter, a biography writer, somebody who does a press release gets on the phone with the artist and talks to them. You interview them for a couple hours, three hours, four yeah. hours, just talking. You're recording it all, but you're learning who this person is. And when you're done, you take all that away and you sit down and go, okay, what what's the nuggets in what this conversation was about? And you use that to craft the message. They can't do that to themselves. They can't. And it happens for a couple of reasons. One, I, I think some people think that songwriting skills equate to strong writing skills. And they're two very different styles of writing, obviously. Uh, you know, there's a saying you're right, in the you're, legal you're writing for two different, distinctly different purposes. 
Yeah, yeah. And and there's a saying in the legal world that an attorney who represents himself has a fool for a client. Yep. It's kind of the same thing with this. You should never be trying to write this stuff for yourself, in part because you're too close to it. You're too emotionally attached to it. And that clouds judgment when it comes to figuring out how you should be trying to present yourself. It's important, too, because there's a lot of positioning that goes on when you're trying to send something out to the media Oftentimes, what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, look, you need to look at me as being somebody who's legitimate, not just that I have a great story, but that I'm the real deal. And a lot of artists have a very difficult time writing about themselves in that manner so that they can position themselves in that way. Well, I think the other the other trap that a lot lot of artists will fall into if they do it themselves is they they overhype themselves to the point of embarrassment when somebody reads it. Um, I'm sure you've encountered this. I have many friends mm-hmm. who who are writers and work for the media, and I'm constantly seeing somebody go, oh, my God, you need to see the press release I just got. <laughs> Listen to how this band describes themselves. We are a mixture of, and then it's literally like 10 different genres and six different bands. But we're yeah. the most unique thing in the world. And, and, and those are things that, somebody like you is going to pick out and go, no, 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 no. We don't do that. We don't do that. You know, we've, we've got to clearly define who you are. And that's not saying I'm, I'm rap meets rock meets metal meets pop meets country. Well, what are you? You're, yeah. You're none of them. A very difficult time defining themselves uh, narrowly enough that, that when somebody reads it, they know exactly what you are. I think the three biggest things that jump out to me, mistakes that artists make when they are trying to write themselves. One, you just said it. They overhype themselves. Uh, that just screams of desperation. It's uh, Think of it as going out on a date. If you go out on a date for the first time and you're sitting across a table from somebody and you feel like you got to keep sitting there talking yourself up, talking yourself up. You're in. Uh, I I see that as an insecurity. If you can't just be who you are and show who you are and and hope that that can be enough, you're probably going to run into some problems. So it, that does scream of desperation when the overhypes are in there. Another thing would probably be, I see a lot of flowery language, and I think that comes from people trying to fill up the void with text. Yes, uh, they're not sure what to put in there. They feel kind of uncomfortable. Was well, this enough? And they start throwing in words in there. I I say, look, if you're putting in flowery language, you're wasting valuable word space. If the words you're using aren't telling the story, they're wasting space. And then I I think the third biggest mistake, you see a lot of cliches, uh, sayings that that we see in the music industry that are common from bio to bio. And again, that comes from an artist not having experience writing something like that and not really being sure what to say. So they fall back on these these cliche sayings and phrases that when you see them, it's like an instant turnoff when you read it. The the, the other thing that and and um, Brian Thompson, my old old and original co-host on the Music Biz Weekly, I remember we talked about this. A lot of young artists will do is they'll put in credit accomplishments that that aren't really worth bragging about like their local singing competition well that or you know we're the number one artist 
on Reverb Nation in Seattle. <laughs> and I'm just okay, that that means absolutely that means absolutely nothing. Doesn't mean anything. It, it means it, and and it and it and it's not a hit on Reverb Nation. It's just that means nothing. If you it, you know that's what they're trying to do is be able to say, well, we've got a number one Billboard album, but you can't say that. And a number one in Seattle on Reverb Nation does not equate. The people you were sending this to understand that. So mm-hmm. you've got to think about those chart numbers, those positioning accomplishments that you put in there, um, because they can also be very embarrassing. Yeah. And, and you know what? I've had to break that news to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of times when we get done with the interview, and, and depending on the length of the interview, like you said earlier, those calls can go for a long time. Usually if I'm just doing a short form biography for a website, which is going to be maybe three or four paragraphs, we usually have about, I would say about one hour. Uh, but it's not out of the ordinary to have a two, like you said, a two or three hour conversation with somebody, depending on the length. And I've had times in, in those calls and we get done where they'll say, hey, by the way, you know, I don't know if you would find this interesting or not, or if you'd be able to use it. But I was ranked, like you said, number one on Reverb Nation for my city or my state or, or whatever. I run the t- I won the talent contest in One, Alabama. And, and, <laughs> it's like. And I hate having to be the bearer of the bad news because I know that that means something to them. I know that they're proud of that. And then I've the conversation, everything that you just said, I basically have to relate to them. And then you, know, you see their shoulders go down a little bit and it's like I'm kicking their cat or something while I'm talking to them. And it's like, no, I just want you to understand, you know, you're, you're talking about sending this stuff out to people who are covering music on a professional basis or you're sending it out to your local media that you just want to make sure that you're, again, positioning yourself in the proper way. Now, you know, the other thing that that I've I've encountered is artists who understand that they need a story, but the legitimacy of the story that they're actually trying to pitch, meaning um, creating a story that's not exactly true. No. Because it's a story that they think is will get them the attention they need. Don't ever, ever, ever do something like that. I, you know, because of the age of social media, it's so easy for people to verify something. Because if you if you jump if you say something to the media about hey, you know, we did this show and we we're in front of this many people and it was this great experience, it is so easy for them. One, to jump onto your social media and see if there are any pictures to back it up. And you start rolling up around those dates and they don't see anything, they're going to start asking questions. It's also very easy for them to simply pick up a phone call and verify it. If you say you you performed advanced warped, uh, it would be an example. It's easy for them to pick up the phone and find out whether or not that's true. And any music writer who's worth their weight in gold is going to make that phone call. Because they're not going to put something into a publication that's going to risk their job. They're going to make sure that what they're writing in there is verified and backed up and that it's true. And this is what these people do for a living. So they know how to dig. I like to tell people, you know, one of the reasons why I think I do such a great job on these bios is because before coming into the music industry a couple of years ago and starting Rocket to the Stars, I spent 18 years as a radio journalist. So working with politicians, working with professional athletes and people like that, 
I knew how to dig and find out what those stories were, and I knew how to do the research. So even when I'm talking to people, that's why I said before I even sit down to do the interview for the biography, I do my own research on them ahead of time. So I have an idea going into that interview exactly what it is that I'm setting myself up for. So so what happens when someone sits down with you and after this conversation, you're kind of like, there isn't a story. What do you do then? That has not happened very often. I, I think most people, most, have interesting things that they have done. People generally are very layered. It is extremely rare. In fact, I could probably only think of, I would say in the last four years, I could count on one hand how many times I've run into a situation where I've interviewed somebody and I was like, man, there's not a lot here to write about. And it's like, you know, pulling teeth. Um, usually in those situations, I will say to them, look, here's, here's what we're looking at. Here's what I have to write about. And I give them the opportunity to say, well, you know what, let's hold off on doing it. Maybe we'll revisit this a year from now and, and see if there's more to write about. But because of the fact that you're looking for a story and oftentimes that story lies outside of the world of music, more often than not, you can find something. I mean, maybe somebody has a cause that they're a big believer in. And, and usually when there's a cause that they believe in, there's a reason for why they believe in it. And, and sometimes that becomes part of the story. But usually, usually you can find something so in most cases. Even the newest, youngest, out-of-the-garage artist, you, you're, you're pretty confident that there's stories that you can find. Most of the time, yes. Like I said, it's very rare that you don't find something like that. I know I've told some people every once in a while, hey, look, you need to get out and live life. You know, <laughs> go go dive off a cliff someplace or, or go skydiving. Go do something interesting that we can write about so that we start to find these layers in you. Um, I, me personally, the, the, the hardest people to write about. And I don't have a lot of clients like this because most of the clients that I work with, I would say, are over the age of 25. They've lived life. They have life experiences. So it's a lot easier to write about them. But every once in a while, off a referral, I might do some writing for a younger artist. The 16-year-olds, the 17-year-olds, they're the hardest ones to write about because of the fact that they are only 16 or 17. They're new to music. They're new to life. At 16, 17, they haven't branched out. They haven't experienced as many things as somebody who's 25 or older. Uh, those are the ones that are tougher to write about. Is is it also a challenge maybe for the younger artist to give them the confidence to, to, to tell them, you've got a story. Don't be afraid to say this. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. I imagine some of those younger artists might be like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't, you know, that that's that's something I'm, I don't know. It's something that they don't think they want the rest of the world to know about, but you give them the confidence to understand it is something people care about. I don't think that's an age thing. I actually, from my experience the last couple of years, I've found myself in that situation having to try to lift somebody up more often in dealing with female artists than I have male artists. Uh, now, when you start talking about 
young female artists, yeah, that guy, I mean, I've always said the most insecure person in the world is a 15 or 16 year old girl. Um, they're the tough ones to build up for that. But even teenage guys, I've never really run into that problem. If we've talked about something and I've said, hey, we should probably talk about this. Most of the guys are like, yeah, go ahead, put it in there. Uh, females more often are the ones that are hesitant to to do something like that and they question it and and i get it they're they're very conscientious about themselves um you know i think teenage girls have a greater tendency to be insecure so when you start talking about some of this stuff they are afraid to put it out there so i i don't think it's necessarily a teenager versus an older person kind of thing i've i've noticed it more gender lines okay um Difference between a biography, a press release, and a press kit? Biography is, depending on what you're planning to use it for, if you're going to use it for a website or on a press kit, so some of these are going to start to kind of meld into each other, uh, biography is going to go on your website, your artist's website, shouldn't be more than three or four paragraphs, and, and really hit on a couple major points. I mean, really, you're looking for three things. If you start to bog it down in accomplishments and facts and things like that, it becomes harder for the reader to remember that stuff. I've always said people have a greater tendency to remember stories than they do facts. Stories stick with them a lot more. So if you can find two or three story arches that you can run with in a bio, it's probably going to be pretty effective. I don't like going more than three or four paragraphs on an artist's website because, or on, on their bio because I think it's overkill to go beyond that. I think a lot of fans aren't going to read a book about an artist's life, which I think is another big problem that people who try to write their own bios they run into is they'll basically tell you their entire life story, and people aren't going to sit there and read that entire thing. So focus on three or four short paragraphs, three or four important points and run with those. Now, a, and a quick quick side to a biography. I mean, would uh, my feeling is, and I'm wondering if you agree, a good biography on your website should work in such a way that a writer shows up on your website, picks your biography off your website, attaches it to a review they wrote, and it works perfectly as an article yes. about you, and you never had to do an interview and you never knew about it. Definitely. And and what you just said actually applies very much to the kind of biography that you would see on a press kit. So with a press kit, usually the biographies that I write for those are going to be a little bit longer. But the biggest difference between those and the biographies on an artist's website, the bios on the EPK, I write to look like a magazine article. So when you read it, it feels like you're reading an article about the about the artist. It has direct quotes in it and everything. And the reason why I do that is because I've found we've been able to get a greater likelihood of coverage for the artist because the article is already written. So if you have a media person that you send this to and they're working against a deadline and they've got three articles they have to write and we just gave them one of the articles that's already done, that all they have to do is copy and paste it and slap a picture on it, a lot of times they take it. I've had a number of times where people have contacted me and said, hey, this newspaper or this publication ended up copy and pasting what you wrote and they put their own byline on it like they wrote it. And, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, doesn't that set you off when you see that because you're not getting credit for it? And I tell them it is what it is. 
the artist paid me to make something happen and it happened. So I'm happy with that. I'm not worried about getting credit in a, in a magazine or anything. Uh, so that's how those, those differ. We, we want to have basically an article on the electronic press kit that can be copied and pasted and put directly into a publication. A press release is something that you're going to send out to the media that is going to be about a very specific event, something that is happening. Maybe you're having a CD release show someplace. Maybe something just happened in your music career that particularly for people in a small town where maybe the the standard for what's going to get in, into their newspaper isn't as high as it is in a big city. Maybe you take on a manager. Maybe you win some kind of a songwriting competition in Nashville, but you're from Timbuktu, Wisconsin, where it's really small. To those people, that's exciting and that's news. So a lot of times you have to take into consideration what is the standard for newsworthiness based upon the size of the market and where you live and where you're sending that to. So the press release is going to focus on whatever that event or that accomplishment is. The press kit is press kit. Here's the thing about press kits. Well, I was really shocked when I came into the music industry from the media, because when I came into the music industry and the first time an artist sent me a press kit, it was basically a two and a half minute promotional video, which I know a lot of videographers promote and market to music artists saying, hey, this is an electronic press kit. I love the videos. I really do. And they definitely have a value in what we do in the music business. But it threw me off because when it was sent to me, it didn't give me everything that I needed to write about the artist or do what I had to do. So I was looking for things like I was looking for past media coverage. I was looking for high resolution photographs that we were going to need and, and, and a lot of other things. And I didn't get that from this video that was posted on YouTube and the link was sent to me. So it put me in a position where I had to contact the artist and start asking for all the other things that I needed that weren't available to me at that point, which is a big no-no because anytime you're doing something with the media, you basically want to do their job for them. You want to make sure that they have everything they need so that they don't have to call you. That is so key because if you can if you can provide everything in your in your email that goes out to all the media or on your website as a download, um, and 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 I'm not saying you want to avoid doing interviews, phoners, and all this other stuff and email interviews because definitely you want to do those, but if you can make the job so easy for the media that that they can do this without having to spend any time talking to you, talking to your manager, talking to a publicist. It's easier for them because, again, definitely, as we said at the very beginning, they get hundreds of these a day. And if you make it easy for them, if the story intrigues them, and then you give them everything they need to put together the great article so they don't have to ask you for anything, you're ahead of everybody else and 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 yeah. and and that means giving them black and white photos color photos studio photos live headshots 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 logos black and white and color give them everything they need give them past media that might have done reviews so they might pull a quote that this this newspaper had this to say about you Give them the 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 bio in the press kit where they can slice and dice the the quotes, so it almost reads like they did interview you. 
you know, one of the coolest things that, that, you know, when I was doing college radio many years ago, record labels used to send out to radio stations vinyl discs. And mm-hmm. I remember getting one for a, an REO Speedwagon album. And basically every track was the band answering a question on the vinyl. And in the vinyl album was a piece of paper with the questions. So me, as the DJ, I could sit here, put that vinyl album on the air. I could ask the question and read the question exactly, play track number one, and the band is answering it like they're in the studio. Definitely. And, you know, it, that still happens, albeit in a slightly different Diff- form. Different format. But but that that's exactly what the point is. That's what you want to provide the media is all of that stuff so they can just do it on their own, make it look like you did a personal interview with them. Because, again, some of these outlets might be a small newspaper in the middle of somewhere. And the people reading it don't know that it's the same interview that was given to 500 different outlets. They don't have that exposure. So No, and, and, and look at the iHeartRadio stations. I mean, something that they do that it kind of falls in line with what you're just talking about. There will be an artist at a show, or maybe they're in studio in New York City or Los Angeles, and they're being interviewed. And they they say something really interesting. Well, then what iHeartRadio is going to do is they're going to take that answer, maybe 10 or 15 seconds of them answering that question, and they're going to make that soundbite available to all of their stations across the country on the network. So when you hear that soundbite playing on a radio station in Los Angeles, that same thing is being played in a radio station station in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, a small town. And it sounds like that artist was in the studio. And 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 the the media outlet didn't have to arrange time to get on the phone with somebody and record and edit and it was it was drop dead simple and the media loves that. The media Definitely. loves it. If yeah. you if you give them great content to fill their space, you're ahead of everybody else who you know Oh, there's a great story, but geez, they didn't give me a photo. Now I got to get on the phone or email the publicist. I need a photo. Okay, well, let me get you the photo. You know, 24 hours later, they're getting what they want. You know, maybe you missed the deadline. Yeah, you might have. You know, and and headshots. I got to say this. One of the best bits of advice I can give to anybody who's watching this is if you have a photo shoot planned for any time here in, in, in the future, be sure, no matter what kind of photo shoot it is, maybe you're on location someplace or you're doing something in a studio, get headshots. And everybody always says, why is it so important to have headshots? Here's why. Particularly for newspapers, if they're going to do an article about you, depending on what the layout is for that day, depending on other things that are going on in the news that have to be jammed into that newspaper, where with a physical newspaper, you're talking about it's not an infinite amount of space that they have. So they've got to work within the restraints of, of the size of the newspaper. Sometimes they don't have the ability to put in this gigantic picture of the band performing or the picture from the cover of the new CD, whatever the case may and, be. And, but, and it's impossible to edit that giant image down to something that's actually usable. Yes. So if you have a headshot, what they might be able to do is squeeze that small headshot. And anybody who opens up a newspaper will see exactly what I'm talking about. You'll see little headshots next to the story. You'd rather have that than no photo at all. 
Yeah. So I, you know, what that's I feel bad again for some of these artists I talk to. We'll sit down and we'll start going over all of this stuff, compiling everything we need for the press kit, and I'll say, hey, we need headshots. And then I find out that they just had pictures done like four weeks before and didn't get a headshot. Now it's like, well, great. Now we got to go back and we've got to pay the photographer more money to have another session and get the headshots done. So if if you're gonna have photos done at any point in the future, keep that in mind. Get those headshots. They're not hard to do. Get them while you're already doing the other pictures anyway. I, I would also add to it, being somebody who also runs websites that I would post stuff from artists on, um, think about how that image works on a black background and on a mm -hmm. white background. Sometimes artists will send out images that are impossible to use on a black background. They are. And, and, and for that simple reason alone, I have not posted stuff. It's just because it's too much work to make it work or there's no image and now it, I don't want to do it without an image. So always look at the images you supply and go, how will that work on a light background and a dark background? You might have to have, it could be the same photo, but have, have your photographer Photoshop out the background or something along those lines or just test it yourself. You know, when you know you're sitting against a generic background, you know, drop the background out, paste your image on white and paste your image on black and see how it works. Definitely. Another thing that I, I think people miss out on when putting together a press kit, and it's something that I think is very important, is having a 10 or 15 second radio pitch written up. And basically what I mean by that, for those that aren't familiar with that term, I hear a lot of music artists who will finally get a song played on a radio station and then the dj in the radio station won't say anything about the artist going into or out of the song and then they get miffed they're like well if somebody likes a song how are they supposed to know that it was me that did it or how they can find it and i tell them did you give the radio station anything to read going into or out of the song that's what the radio pitch is. It's basically, you know, going into the song, they can jump on and say, oh, here's so-and-so. If you want to find out more about them, boom, here's a website. If it's a new artist, uh, particularly if you're doing something like giving away a free song, a free song download, mostly if it's that song playing on the radio. If you don't give the radio station something to read going into that, you're missing a huge opportunity, huge and, and that's, that was always a common complaint, particularly with the newer artists. They finally got their local radio station to play something about them, and they said nothing about them. And, and understand, too, that in a lot of radio station studios, the program directors put together a programming binder. And that binder sits in the studio. So during the course of the day, during the air shift, there's different things that they reach over. They grab that binder. They open it up. Maybe they're reading a public service announcement. Maybe they're giving details on a remote broadcast that the radio station is doing that weekend coming up but that stuff has to all be written out and printed and then put into that binder so if you have that radio pitch on there and they can download it and print it and stick it into that binder then they have something there about the artist that they can read so that they can give out that information about you otherwise people hear the song they don't know who sang it now fi final question how often do you need to um, so press release we talked about that's related to mm -hmm. an event. So anytime you've got a significant event, there should be a new press release bio and press kit. How often should those be changed, recreated, updated with bios? I tell people 
you should at least examine updating them every year. Now, if you have something six months in that is like a major event that's going to have a lot of impact on your music, you need to get that in there. Mostly if it's something that, that should be at the top of the bio. Uh, as far as the press kit is concerned... Isn't the press image- kit... Isn't the press kit... I mean, this this is my feeling. Okay. Um, it's always an ongoing update. It is. It is. Mostly with the media coverage. So any section you have on the press kit that deals with media coverage, you know, you get a radio interview that you go do. As soon as you do that interview, that should be added to the media section of the press kit. Photographs... Photographs, it, I think it, it changes based upon what's going on. If you're talking about somebody that is 18, 19 years old, photographs are going to be need to be updated more often than somebody who's 45 because the younger people they you know they mature their their physical look changes very quickly most of them start talking about teenagers um so if photos is going to vary by age when you should have those updated but as far as the media coverage that's constant that has to be constant and i i think it's it's accurate to say bios and press kits need to be updated immediately when there's actually a significant change in the band yes the last thing you want is to be sending out band photos that have a drummer who left 18 months ago yeah and we've seen that happen and and it and you know and i've seen that happen with major artists that still do that that they did they whoever's responsible doesn't do it or they just don't get around to it but it's like you know, you've got to update your photos immediately when there's a change in the band status, um, you know, or, or you change your direction of your music. You start out as a country artist and now you're a rock and roll artist. Well, that bio better not reflect you as a country artist anymore. And not only that, but, you know, when you have a genre shift, you know, the branding changes, the imaging changes, the logo changes. That means that the color scheme of the press kit or the website are probably going to change as well. Uh, the aesthetics, all of that stuff. So, yeah, it, it, when you it, have it, any it, kind it, of shift. It seems to me from experience, the last thing artists worry about changing are bios and press press kits. That's the last thing. And it usually gets changed because somebody brings up the glaring mistake got printed in some outlet and they're like how did that happen well that's what you sent yeah yeah because they didn't update the press kit or more importantly as we talked about that bio on your website might be picked up without you ever knowing it used as an article and if that bio is two years old even though your publicist is sending out something more current somebody took the old bio off your website and listen i've done this many times whether I've been working at a venue or whatever. When I need artist information and I'm under a deadline, I go to the website and I take whatever your bio is and I take whatever photos you've got under your photo section. And if they are not the right bio and the right photo, you've got a problem because we're using it. And I'll tell you another thing that can really bite artists in the butt when it comes to not updating these things is particular on electronic press kits. A lot of times when I put those together, we put together a page that is focused solely on the needs of the venues that are thinking about booking the artist. And if, if you have a booking agent or you have somebody in the band that is handling everything, speaking with people with bookings, 
And then maybe that person changes and that old contact information is on there. And now you've got a venue yeah. that wants to book you and they're trying to get a hold of you and they can't get a hold of you because you haven't updated that information. I've, I've, I've had that too. I, you know, I booked a venue and I'd reach out to somebody and I'd go, yeah, I'm interested in your band. And they'd be like, I haven't worked with that artist in two years. I'm like, hey, you know, <laughs> th not that it's your fault, but they've still got your contact information listed as manager on their website. Yeah, that I see that happen all the now, time. Now, if it was a bad separation, that old manager isn't going to do anything because they, they don't care about you. Hopefully that manager called them up and said, hey, guys, FYI, you might want to change this. But if it was a bad separation, that manager might not pass along an offer. Well, I know I keep up with a lot of the artists I work with on Facebook, so I, I see what they're doing. And uh, it has happened so many times where one of them goes and does something, they have a big interview, uh, or there's a big show that they get the opportunity to do, and a week goes by and I haven't heard from them, and then I go, oh, I got to send them an email and say, hey, I need you to send me this stuff so that I can get this over onto the press kit. And there's just times where it's like I'm beating a dead horse. I've got to ask for it five or six times before I finally get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's for people like us in the industry, it, it always is amazing because again, I can't tell you, you, you want people to just take stuff without you knowing about it. I want people to go to your website and write an article based off of what they just picked up. I don't want to have to beg and plead somebody can you review this? Can you read this? You know, I want them to be so interested that they come to you and they take it. And then maybe when it's done, they send a link saying, hey, I just did this great review. If that information is not accurate, the article isn't accurate. And that might ruin, that might ruin any PR potential of that piece. Because it and was sadly, what, what you just described, sadly, is the exception and not the rule. It's, 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 it's just one of those things you've got to, there's a lot of basic little pieces that you have to watch and manage. And if you can't do it, get somebody to help you to do it and, and let them be responsible for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's your name, it's your career, it's your reputation. And you can't point the finger and blame somebody else because it's just, it isn't, it's your fault. You know, yeah, it's, it's your responsibility. It's your name at the top of, of the bio. It's your name on the top of the press kit. Definitely. Yep. Wade, um, where can people find you online? They can find me at www.rockettothestars.com. And if they jump over there, they can actually get a free copy of the $150,000 music degree. That's a music business ebook that I wrote a couple of years ago with former Taylor Swift manager Rick Barker. That's on there. You can go grab it for free. Awesome. Awesome. So this, this was so great. I mean, this is one of those topics that's so important, yet I think just gets glossed over all the time. Definitely. But, you and, know, press kits, bios, everything. So important. Bios, typically, I would say, are traditionally the weakest link on artist websites. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I can't tell you how many times I've needed an artist bio to find there isn't even a bio on their website. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we laugh, but that that that's not far-fetched to go, where's your bio? Oh, there isn't one. Or the bio yeah, is three sentences. And I'm like, 
there's there's nothing for me to use there that doesn't tell me who you are it doesn't give me any information to promote you to sell you um but then conversely you know i hate those bios that for whatever reason feel like they need to be four pages long and i'm like good lord where's I just want the important stuff about you. I don't need all of this flowery language that you put in here. And and that's why on the website, keep them to three or four short paragraphs. Yep. Yep. Wade, this was great. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Music Biz Weekly. Definitely. I'm glad to see that you haven't thrown yourself on the sword after the NFC Championship uh, game. You know, I'm used to it. That's all I can say. Is <laughs> I'm used to it as a Vikings fan. I'm used to it. I've lost four Super Bowls and countless championships, and it's just like, ah. They, they are a good young team. They, they, I think they've got a pretty good future ahead of them. And, and, and you know, all right, so they had that, the, the, the miracle win. Then they literally self-imploded at the championship game. And then two of the guys go on to the Pro Bowl, and the two guys from the Vikings score touched great touchdowns at the pro bowl we're like where that where that where was that performance a week ago what happened well they don't play defense in the pro bowl they don't bother it, it's it, true so. it, it's it's like playing flag football it is. <laughs> nobody wants to get bumped they'll have they'll have a good year next year that's you know sure. there's always hope there's always next year but uh been there so many times wade once again thank you so much thank you